heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Two, excuse me. Who I almost threw myself up there. 82 of YWC Football Talk. Today I have Joe Provost the third. I was going to say third for some reason. Joe Provost, Miller City, Michigan Marine fan. Just a little bit. He may have a little bit of Spartan Green in him. I don't know, but you know, I would be yeah, there's uh, there's zero Spartan Green going on, but uh, yeah, I'm doing well. And yourself, Griff? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I have no Spartan Green. I have a maroon Gopher jersey, but I also am the proud owner of a Tom Brady Michigan jersey. So there you go into the school. I had to. Yeah. You got to support your guy from where he came from. Yeah, I mean you're uh, you're not too far from Ann Arbor, so yeah, about four four and a half hours, five hours. Yeah, yeah just like I bandwagoned the Patriots while Tom was there. I mean. You can uh, feel free to hop on the uh, the uh, Michigan bandwagon. There's a lot of seats. There's a lot of seats available right now. Now I understand. Um, what I was gonna say was it's just with Michigan, such a weird school. Like they're so they're always like the relevant program, but they're all like they're kind of at a crossroads right now. I feel. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, you know, Michigan. You know, they've got their brand. That's big for them. Um, you know, everybody recognizes the Block M kind of goes back to when licensing kind of first became like a big, big thing. And these colleges realized like they could, uh, you know, monetize, you know, everything just by slapping a logo on it. And fans like us uh, would just eat it all up. So, you know, going back to like the Fab Five and all that. And that really they were always kind of solid athletic school, obviously very good academically. And then just kind of the whole that kind of like brought a lot more attention, I guess, to the university. And ever since then, um, you know, the, the bar has been set super high for their performance on the field, on the court, whatever you want to say. And uh, as of late, it just hasn't, it hasn't been what we expected. You know, the Jim Harbaugh era, um, you know, it was funny. I was just reading an article the other day. Uh, they're calling it, is this uh, Harbaugh's last stand or is this act two? We really don't know, and like you said, you said it perfectly. It's a crossroads right now, and uh, he—they definitely did a bunch of bunch of staff changes uh, during the off season. Went with a a younger, inexperienced coaching staff, but one that they think uh, will be able to grind harder on the recruiting trail. And I mean, it kind of there's a direct correlation when it comes to you know recruiting and championships in college football. You see it all the time. If you're not in the top five. Uh, I mean, there hasn't been a national champion that hasn't averaged a top five class in the in their four years um, span. So there's just such a direct correlation between recruiting, and I think that's the angle where they're trying to go. And uh, you know, Michigan. You know, on, on today's topic, you know, Michigan players in the NFL. Um, you know, they're they're draft. They've had they've had guys come out, but they, you know, one position where they kind of used to be known for a little bit more that I think is kind of going to be the difference maker eventually if they can find their guy's quarterback. Um, of course, no good Michigan quarterbacks coming out this year, um, but there's a few other players to talk about. Yeah, because obviously, like I actually I watched the Michigan film recently of a game against Penn State from this past year. Um, 
I was impressed with McNamara. I thought Haskins could run the ball well. Uh, Joe Milton is not going to be an NFL quarterback. Um, <laughs> he just but, transferred, oh, by the way, too, so no no worries there. <laughs> oh, okay, good to know. Um, but one player who sticks out to my mind is Pay. It's It's got to be Quay Pay. He's one of the best. Because this draft as a whole is great for edge rushing. Meanwhile, it's weird where it's great for edge rushing, but it's terrible for defensive tackles coming this year. So it's just weird how the middle of the line, it's not good. But, yeah, you know the boys on the outside, they're going to come into the league and get the job done. And I think Pay is a big part of that. That's why in my latest mock, I had him going 14 to the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I I'm a, I like Quiddy Pay quite a bit. Um, you know, it's super interesting because, and this, and this is, this is just perfect, perfect guy to have this conversation with. I was, I was actually, if you're, if you're telling me right now where we're at, I was higher on Chase Winovich coming out, um, in the draft. And I, you know, you keep looking around the mock drafts and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, nobody has Chase and like, you know, the top, like 10, top 15, top 20. And I'm like, you know. He kind of played more of that anchor defensive end role, um, you know, switching in and out with Rashawn Gary. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Chase, no matter where you put him, you know, no matter the scheme, he just found a way to get the job done. And I think there's something to be said about guys like that. Um, I do think with that being said, I do think Quiddy has a higher ceiling. I think there's another level there that hasn't been that he hasn't seen yet um so i think that's kind of why you know maybe i think a lot of people saw chase knew what they were getting figured he'd be solid but didn't know if he had another level to him i mean he's been solid for your patriots so uh yeah i'm glad that's worked out but yeah quitty quitty's very solid um definitely excited to see where he goes yeah, uh, with Winovich, though, I wasn't expecting too, too much out of him. Like, I feel like there was more pressure on Gary coming out because I believe Gary was a top 15 pick in 2019. And Winovich, I think, was a uh, second round. I think around 45 or 46 is where he went. Yeah, kind of middle of the second there. Yep. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. Like, him and then guys like Uche, they've both kind of come in off their roles for Michigan and done their job effectively for the Patriots. Like, obviously, Uche was showcased a little bit more than – Winovich was in his rookie year. That's because mainly we all know the Patriots defense was decimated. I'm just yep. more interested now to see with like those two, what leaps they take. Cause I, I think Belichick is, is expecting to have, have Winovich more be kind of an anchor on that defensive line. Like I'm not yeah. saying be the guy, like I still expect him to be Judon, but just to tie the Michigan thing into the Patriots and quickly, I expect Winovich kind of, stamp his mark and really show that he's a presence. Cause if you give him time and space to work with, he's going to get hits. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Michigan kind of ran a gimmicky defense under Don Brown. Um, so, they, you know, some of the players, you know, based on that defense, it was kind of unusual. They had – I think some of them were just under uh, under showcase, and I think Uche was one of those guys for sure. Um, every time he was on the field, he was productive, but they only used him in on, like, third down pass rushing situations – which I just thought, you know, this dude is good at, like, I'm all about just getting your top 11 on the field, no matter who it is, find a way to get him out there and just make things happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see his uh, his development. And, you know, I, you, there just cannot be a better situation under, you know, uh, playing under Bill Belichick for those guys. No, exactly. Um, 
I just want to switch gears quickly. I'm also going to give a Patriots reference in a second, but Michigan quietly has produced a lot of good offensive linemen over the years. Going like if you go want to go way back, but even like look if I saw when I was watching that game, Michigan Penn State from this year, it's a Jalen Mayfield was the only returning from that starting offensive line. And two of those guys are starting in the NFL right now. It's obviously Michael Owenu and Cesar Ruiz. But where would you have uh, Jalen going in the draft? And, like, not team, but, like, area. But, like, do you think he can make it into the first round? Or do you think he'll go day two? Yeah, I think, you know, it's one of those things, like, uh, with defensive, uh, you know, pass rushers. You know, the next thing after that that's most coveted te- typically outside of the quarterback is, you know, good offensive linemen, um, especially tackles. I think Mayfield's solid. Um, if you're comparing him to like a Jake Long or a Taylor Lewan, he's not going to, he's not exactly in that, um, in that class yet, but he's just going to be like a kind of a solid dude. I think, you know, a more fair comparison is going to be kind of like a Worf's who kind of slides down, or not slides down, but um, maybe, you know, not a guy that's, you know, just pegged as like, okay, this is a uh, tackle worthy of taking, you know, in the top two or top three, like we see so many years. But just kind of, he reminds me a lot of Wirfs. And I know Wirfs had a great rookie year, um, only gave up one or two sacks, I think. Uh, total, you'll have to check me on that um, all year. But I he kind of, he's kind of got that, even that frame to him a little bit. And, you know, he's not going to just wow you on tape, but he's just solid and gets the job done. Yeah. That's because that's all you can ask for an offensive lineman. Like, obviously there's the guys who are different like this year, like say, for example, like the Benesu Wells, and then, you know, Rashawn Slater, obviously because of the big 10 connection. But if you can, like, that's the thing too, about this year's draft as well. I feel like everyone thinks with a lot of these players, you got to find them in the first round. I'm going to contradict that with saying you can find solid offensive linemen day two, day three. Look at Michael Owen, who was first team all rookie taken in the sixth round. And then you have other offensive linemen too, who are going to go day two and day three, who are solid players. Same thing with the receiver position. So I kind of realized this today where I feel like a lot of NFL teams take reaches on guys because they're afraid they're not going to be there by the time they pick next. But in a lot of the cases, they are there by the next time. And when you draft those guys later on, they have a chip on their shoulder. Like, Michael Thomas says it often. Chase Claypool, I think, came in the league and said it. Hell, look at our favorite quarterback, Tom Brady. He's been in the league for 21 years. He still has a chip about being taken, 199 overall. And when that happened, we were in, like, I don't know, first and second grade, respectively. Yeah, something like that. I just know I – you know, I get, I get, a, I get this a lot. You know, everybody's like, okay, well, like, you know, when did you, when did you start cheering for Tom Brady? And honestly, my earliest memories are his last season at Michigan, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> Which would have been, yeah, like first, second grade. That was the Orange Bowl too, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so they, they went, I think nine and two, ten and two that year, finished out in the Orange Bowl, and uh, good game against Bama. Unfortunate ending, but it was a. Uh, Good ending for Michigan, but I don't know if you know the story, but triple overtime, they missed the extra point in triple overtime. Bama did. So Michigan won on a missed extra point. So a little bit anticlimactic, but uh, it was a it was a fitting way for uh, comeback Tommy to go out. I mean, they were down 14 nothing right out the gate. So 
I knew that because I read the, um, I've said this on this podcast several times, but there's a Patriots book that I read recently called The Dynasty. It's by Jeff Benedict. He goes into details about how there was Tom and there was a guy named, it was Drew. I'm blanking on his last name right now. But, um, or. Uh, Drew, Drew, Drew Hanson. Yeah, it was between yep. Brady and Hanson. And the, I, I'm also blanking on who was coaching Michigan at the time, but. Uh, I know Lloyd Carr. What, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't playing Tom as much, and Tom was getting mad about that, and I think his father was too. And then he started playing him, but he would do like this kind of like the the Tua Fitz thing we saw in Miami in 2020, like obviously in 98, 99 with Brady and Hanson. And he, they realized eventually, and the Patriots realized when they're watching the film, hey, when they Brady was in the game, he was great. When Hanson was in the game, he was bad. So it's kind of like, why are they pulling Brady? And then the Orange Bowl, I believe Hanson got the start, but then Brady went in and basically led them was the comeback kid. And that's what inspired Belichick to draft him seeing, Hey, whenever he went in, he was calm in the pocket. He was good under pressure and he was able to, you know what, surmount leads and help this team come back more than once to win games. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, he says it to this day when he comes back and visits Michigan, you know, he, you know, there's a saying at Michigan, those who stay will be champions. Well, he kind of like really took that to heart. And he wanted to, you know, all the rumors were he went to Coach Carr, uh, wanted to transfer back home to Cal, um, decided to stick around, tough it out. And he said he credits, you know, a lot of that chip on his shoulder started even before being pick 199, Um, you know, being six on the Michigan depth chart and climbing his way to the top. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get this local uh phenom you know they didn't have recruiting rankings back then but if they did he would have been like you know very much like a five-star trevor lawrence type hype i mean that was what drew henson was um so and michigan had to do kind of a juggling act with both of them um they knew brady was you know solid but henson was also a two-sport athlete and uh each they had to get him on the field to entice him because they wanted you know, they were thinking long-term, not short-term, and they wanted to keep him around um, because he was drafted by the Yankees and they were trying to keep him from uh, going and signing that contract. So uh, we could probably do a podcast in and of itself on that topic, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, just because it just, it just shows the, like how much Brady's like just catered to win his drive to win. Like everyone thinks, Oh, it's this, but then you have to go really peel back the curtain for that one. Um, even to, there's something else I was going to say with Tom, but well, I am blanking on it right now, but yeah, no, it just, Oh yes. Um, I always see a video that comes to mind of him back in Michigan. I think it was like 2005 or 2006, but he was basically saying how like, look, you just don't walk through those doors. You earn the right. You basically, it was a really inspiring speech he gave, but it just goes to show, look, how much, even though those guys are obviously, there's a gateway to get to the NFL, but at the same time too, no matter what school they go to, you respect where you came from. That's what I love the best. Like how a lot of these guys still, you see it with Alabama and Auburn, where when the Iron Bowl's going on, the guys aren't like, oh yeah, hey, no friend. It's a budding rivalry. Like it's still taken seriously, even though you played you go into that school to be good in football, the roots of the school will never leave you. No, exactly. And you see it all the time with, you know, guys on uh, guys in the NFL, you know, in the same locker room. And if it's rivalry week and, you know, there's an alum from your rival in that same locker room, you see all the, you know, the trash talk between each other. You'll see like the little Instagram live video clips. You'll see guys uh, doning the, uh, whoever loses they'll they'll wear the colors and 
get ridiculed and get a nice embarrassing pick put up on social media. So it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's cool. It, like you said, it is cool. And I think, you know, guys, um, they'll always, you'll always feel super affiliated to what university you went to, unless you had like just a really bad experience, I think. And then, you know, versus like, you know, maybe NFL stops where, you know, guys can be on five teams in 10 years and it's, you know, for them, it's kind of tough to pick. Okay. Like, you know, which one was my favorite or you don't just feel as strongly aligned. And that's just another dynamic between college and pro, I think. No, exactly. You're hundred percent right. Like, it's like I said, the roots never leave you. Um, just going back to the t- topic on Michigan players quickly, just as you were saying, I was pulling up a list of players. Um, yep. What do you want to say about, or how do you view Nico Collins game? Like as a receiver, do you feel like he can come in and be like a good deep threat? Or do you think he'll be more of like a, wide receiver two or a slot he's definitely uh, a deep threat a guy that you're gonna go play action with um be looking for him down the field big red zone target uh he's got like a friend another another easy reference for you he's kind of got that Nikhil Harry frame to him a little bit and he I kid you not in all of the years in Michigan's offense has been like spotty at best. I mean, that's honestly probably sugarcoating it, but, and he was definitely underutilized, but I have never seen a receiver ever in all of college football draw so many defensive pass interferences. And I mean, he is just a freak when he gets downfield, he can jump, he runs well, good footwork for his size. He's not a twitchy guy that's going to get loose on like a five-yard slant, but he's definitely your downfield, um, you know, sideline type of target. I think, you know, him sitting out last year, I, you know, I'll always respect a guy's decision. Um, rumor was he tried after, you know, realizing that we, in fact, were going to have a season, but it was already too late because he had technically signed with an agent. Um, so he was ineligible, but, you know, I'm definitely interested to see where he goes and I, rookie wide receivers, you know, those are ones that can, they either kind of seem to catch on right away or it takes them a couple of years. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I, I'm thinking he's, he's probably going to end up in the third round. Um, this, this, this wide receiver class is just so loaded. That's that's why I think a lot of and I want to get I'm going to get to your NFL team in a bit, but I think that's why like you only saw Kenny Galladay really sign a big money wide receiver contract is because you all these GMs are starting to hone in on hey we can go get a guy who does your job at half the money who's younger than you so why are we going to give you all this money Yeah, that's the name of the game with the draft, and you know there's even there's even. Uh some like theories out there that with regards to like the quarterback position, even if you can, your window starts when you draft a quarterback, you've got to build around them quick before they reach that like uh record breaking deal. Because once you do that, you're and that, and this is another, you know, not to keep coming back to Tom Brady, but his, his willingness to take a lot less and, help around him and people knock him for that because he for whatever they just say well you know anybody could do that but nobody really has nobody nobody's willing to take such a such a steep discount 
um, in order to to put not it's and it's not even elite guys like Mike Evans. I'd consider an elite wide receiver, but just enough pieces around where they're just solid all the way around. Like a Chris Godwin for yeah. who I saw while you we were talking. Um, Mike Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Justin Watson now own special places in my heart because they were at the Raptors game with the Lombardi tonight in Tampa. Where I did see that. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. Really that. Cool. I'm like, I think I like these guys a little bit more now. <laughs> but also, do I saw Justin Watson. I, I'm like, he just sounds like a Brady receiver. Him and Scotty Miller. I'm like, they're on the team. That's who Tom likes to throw to. I know he likes his big toys, like having Evans and Godwin, but you know he loves his small white wide receivers. Oh, 100%. And, yeah, you said Scotty Miller just there, and I just instantly think of uh, that buzzer-beater touchdown in Lambeau to end the first half. And, I mean, that, looking back, you know, and how that game played out, that was a huge score. That was a huge score in that game. Yeah, I, as soon as that happened, I was basically saying I cannot see the Packers winning this game. They almost did, but I just I thought that was a nail in the coffin. There was that, and then there was the Aaron Jones fumble. I'm like, yeah, this game should should have been over. It's just Brady had his moments, but luckily the Tampa Bay defense came up big when it needed to. Hundred percent. Yeah, um, but even with Green Bay, I'm going to say in that division, your division this year is quite interesting. That I think would be to say the least. Yeah, I think, you know, and te- the Bears are the Bears. You know, it's they play a lot of, like, low-scoring games, credit to their defense. Um, but their offense, uh, you know, the Bears are the Bears, and until they kind of click offensively, uh, I just have a hard time taking them seriously. It's, you know, it's still the Packers' division absolutely to lose. Um, I'm not a Kirk Cousins believer. Don't believe in the Vikings, I, although I do think, they're getting better and they have some really nice young pieces. You know, if Dalvin cook can stay healthy, if Justin Jefferson, you know, we saw him have an un- incredible rookie year. Um, and then, you know, then there's the lions <laughs> and, uh, but lions, I feel like this, I'm, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but I feel like this time with the lions though, your fan base at least knows, Hey, we're putting all the right, pieces in place except for Chris Spielman part of me still doesn't know what exactly his role is with the team I feel like is it like special advisor to the owner is it like a weird executive role but he still has a lot of say it's like part of me still trying to figure out what's he exactly doing yeah he's just a special advisor but I think he's probably at this point a little bit more hands-on than your typical um special advisor so I think you know they're just looking for people to kind of people that care about the organization to put their, to get their fingerprints on it. And, you know, the, all these people that, and not, I'm not talking about him in particular, but it's almost kind of like, okay, Hey, well, nothing's worked yet. You know, we respect your opinion. We know, we know you care about this franchise. What can you do to help us? Yeah, you're right. Because for as much as it is, Look, we understand. I believe uh, Dan Campbell, I think, played for the Lions. I'm pretty sure Chris Spielman did. Rod Wood's the one I'm trying to blank on, and I don't think Brad Wood played football. But I feel like I don't really know what the whole thing is with ownership, too, because I say that as well for a lot of teams. When an owner passes away, it kind of puts this team in a weird crossroads where you're trying to figure out who's in power or if, like, the widow takes it over or if there's, like, a – 
like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like ever since uh, Mr. Ford passed, I believe in 2013 or 2014, that's when really the Lions, like, kind of the brakes came off a bit. Yeah, and I mean, if you talk to anybody around here, um, they're just ready for the Ford family to move on from the Lions. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Martha, she's just kind of like a figure there now, Martha Ford I'm talking about. And with her, you know, nobody, nobody's really a believer because, I mean, you know, she's not hanging around for another 10 years. So it's like who takes the reins after that? And then, you know, is that person invested or are they okay just, you know, collecting their NFL check and saying, hey, we have a team here in Detroit. You know, they go anywhere from 5-11 and 11 to 9-7 and seven and we're just cool with that. Yeah, exactly, which is something you do not want with ownership. I'm just looking up right now. It's actually her daughter, Sheila, Fo- uh, Sheila Firestone Ford Hamp, who's taken over from the team. Because uh, I believe Martha gave up her thing. Because even too, Martha's 95. Um, yep. her daughter's only in her sixties, but, um, that's not the point. It's just the point is, look, you need ownership that cares. Like, for example, this is one's going to be a double-edged sword example. Cause look at the Pagoulas. Like they brought a winning team to Buffalo. Meanwhile, they neglected the hockey team, but I could do Like you said earlier, I can do a whole other podcast about that sorry sack of players who play hockey and wear blue and white, um, <laughs> or blue and yellow, excuse me, blue and white. That's another podcast too on its own. Um, but you need ownership that cares. Like, I'm going to go back to me. Look at Robert Kraft. Look at, what's the other owners? The Glazer family down in Tampa. Look at, even to another perfect example is the Saints with Tom Benson. Obviously, Tom Benson passed, I believe, right before we were in New Orleans. But then his wife took over, and she still has that same infectious energy for the city and the franchise. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in Detroit, they're just so hungry for that. You know, they want and all of Detroit sports are down right now. Um, ever since Illich passed away, uh, the Tigers and the Red Wings have just kind of went downhill. The rumor is the family, the family's not super invested in in the Tigers. They do love their wings. Um, they did a good job bringing Stevie Y back. You know, they're going through their rebuild right now. Uh, and then as far as as far as, you know, like the Pistons, nobody likes Tom Gores at all. Um, they just view him as somebody who's just in it for an investment purpose. And, yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like the Tigers in the – just to go off football for a second, but I feel like with the Tigers and the Red Wings, like the Red Wings, I feel like, look, everyone knows they had that incredible window from 91 to, like, 2014. Yep. Where it was just, like, unstoppable hockey. Uh, I want to say – three or four Stanley. I'm trying to remember if they, if 97 was them. I know 98, 02 and 08 were. Yeah. And then, and then a bunch of other, you know, either conference finals or, you know, coming up just short in the, uh, in the Stanley cup. Exactly. Like there was just so, there was such a legacy of success there where it's like, look, that held the city too. And even with the Tigers, there was unfortunately, I was thinking about this the other day, like the, Detroit Tigers, maybe, like, that run they had from, like, 2006, 2012 may have been one of the best runs that never resulted in a championship. Like, if you look at the locker, like, I know that's probably a soft spot for you, but, like, you look at, like, the two players that come to, like, a few players that come to mind right now, it's, like, how they had Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and did not win a World Series is beyond me, but... Well, yeah, at one one point, their staff, and when, you know, obviously we lost to, uh, lost to the Red Sox, at one at one point, their staff 
was JV, Scherzer, David Price, Porcello when he was still like really good, and Anibal Sanchez when he was still really good. And for a one through five, I mean, you almost had like arguably five aces. Porcello, with the exception of his Cy Young year, tough to call him an ace, but I mean, when he was on, he was on. Exactly. Like Porcello's a good depth guy to have on a team. Like that's what he did with the Red Sox, and he had his one year. He had his one year, but like, yeah, because I remember too, because I know '06, you guys went to the World Series. I believe it was the Cardinals. Yep. Who? Um, that's like. You know how they say I'm gonna. I just want to say this quickly because I made this comparison before. You know how for years the Red Wings were always the best team. I feel aren't the best team, but they're always relevant. I feel like that's the Cardinals. Like they don't work. Yeah. The Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, where you know, hey, even on their down years, they're still in it. Yeah, they're just always there. Like even a down year results in like a year that ninety percent of other teams would kill for. Yep. Yeah, shout out lazy booking for the Cardinals. Um, which is something I want to I want to go into this. I brought up the Steelers because I want to get into them because uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Mike Tomlin signs a three year extension to stay with Pittsburgh through twenty twenty four. Yep. After that season, the Pittsburgh Steelers will have had only three head coaches in fifty six years. That is just damn near remarkable, if you ask me. Yeah, that's uh, that's got to be like an unprecedented run. I know in college. Obviously, you know, you get two guys that stay for 20 years that can that's a little bit more common. NFL, the NFL is such a what have you done for me lately? And granted, Tomlin, you know, when people think about like the Steelers down years, they're, you know, they're still like a wild card team like we were talking about. Like and, his worst, sorry to cut you off, but like his worst years are like seven and nine or eight and eight, something that like I had pain with, but like something like I don't know. Uh, well, I was gonna say Jacksonville, but they were relevant a few years ago. Like right now, I feel like if if the Jets finish seven and nine, their fans would be happy. Oh, hundred percent. And that's going back to what I was saying. You know, there's teams that would like kill for that. And granted, I you know I'd be willing to bet that Tomlin's worst years, if you go back and look, it was probably Big Ben was hurt, or a lot of other key pieces were hurt. Like the one year where it was bad, or the first year was the. Uh... 2018, when the whole Antonio Brown stuff started to fold at the end of the season, and then 2019, that was the year Ben was hurt. So you're right. Like even too, there was um, there was one of the runs I think they were saying in the Peter King was saying recently in the playoffs they had where Ben, you know what he shouldn't have been playing. Like Ben was really injured. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I just feel I mean Ben Roethlisberger obviously going to be first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they trans transition from that era. That's a thing this year because I saw a thing today of saying like, oh hey, they should draft like a quarterback in the future. But I I still don't know with them. I think going back to your point about winning now, obviously Ben's older than that. But even with the Buffalo thing, like I'm going off map here, but it's what I do. Like even a team like Buffalo where they said, hey, we're planning long term for the draft. I'm like, uh, no 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 no, Brandon Bean, you have a quarterback who's on a rookie deal who's really freaking good. You play to win now. Like, even yeah. the Pittsburgh's doing the same thing. But Pittsburgh right now, though, I don't know why they're giving me 2019 New England vibes where, like, I feel they have an okay team, but the offense is, we'll see, but the defense is really good. I think they're going to have a lot of games where defense bails them out this year. Yeah, they'll be super interesting. And I don't know off the top of my head how their schedule looks. I'm not sure who the AFC North is aligning with for their cross games. Um but that being said, 
you know, but th- that's just another tough division. You expect you expect I, I expect all those teams to be better this year. Same. Like I'm just looking at their schedule right now. They play the AFC West. They play the Titans and the Bills. They play the Seahawks, and then they play the Bears, the Lions, the Packers, and the Vikings. Which I I said this last week. There's this window of teams that I think in the AFC that can finish anywhere from fifth to ninth. I think there's a five team window there. Pittsburgh's in that for me. Baltimore, Tennessee. L.A., New England, and to make it a six-team Miami. That's interesting. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think that the for me the picture always becomes a little bit clearer after the draft. Not because I'm so, I'm not like I don't think you can, you know, peg a team like say, oh, a team got a left tackle. You know, we're going to add two to three wins on another thing. I think you can kind of sense a theme in a draft. You can sense a trajectory. Are they building for this year? Are they going for it this year? Are they more in a win now? Or is this, are they making moves that are setting themselves up a little bit better for two, three, four years? That kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm, I love the prediction game, the way too early predictions, as you call them. Yeah. Um, but at post-draft, I think picture, the picture gets a little bit more clear. Yeah, but like when I say the um, when I say that, like those are just based off last year and based off free agency. But you're right, the draft's going to add to that because there's a few teams out there that I think are going to be drafting a little bit for now, but a little bit for the future. I think Pittsburgh and New England fit that mold the best, where it's like they're going to try to improve their team now, but they're also going to look at hey, what's our five year window realistically? I only say that too because obviously both teams are potentially in that quarterback market where. I feel New England, I don't think Pittsburgh is going to want, I don't think Kevin Colbert's going to want to push all his chips to the table and move up and go get someone. Cause obviously this year's a crazy year for quarterbacks, but I could see them getting like maybe, I don't know, Davis Mills or like Felipe Franks in day three. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see that. There's some, uh, there's definitely some sleepers out there as far as quarterbacks. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, the usual suspects at the top, of course, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, um, Wilson, and then Trey Lance. Trey Lance, though, I, I'm certain there was rumors maybe he'd be the third quarterback, even at one time, maybe the second quarterback taken. And now I'm seeing him kind of back into the first round. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I honest, I think it's Mac Jones going to San Francisco personally. I just think, you know what, that's Kyle's quarterback. Like, you know how certain players, like certain coaches have their style of player they work with best? Yep. I think that's just, that's Mac, like, that's Mac Jones for Kyle Shannon. Because if you look at him, he, he looks very similar to me, like what a Matt Ryan or a Kirk Cousins is. Yeah, I definitely did. I, I, I read a little bit up on that. I saw an article on the same topic about how Shanahan would probably rather work with a Mac Jones versus a Justin Fields for whatever that's worth. Exactly. Mac, uh, Zach Wilson's crappy Chipotle order, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but... I did. I did. <laughs> by the way, I tweeted so yesterday. I Trey Lance, if I had a go-to, I, I've only had Chipotle once in my life, believe it or not. But the one time I went to it, I liked it. But I will have to say this. I fell for the Trey Lance order almost immediately. Yeah, so I <laughs> we'll get into it real quick. When I go to Chipotle, I I I go with the double chicken or the double steak, depending on how I'm feeling. You got double up on my protein. 
Um, I like the white rice. I'm not a beans guy at all. Don't like beans. Um, so a lot of people are like, oh, is it a true bowl if it doesn't have beans in it? Uh, for me, uh, still a bowl. And then I, I mess with like spicy salsa, uh, the street corn salsa, and then just some chips to dip it in and I'm good to go. And some queso, a little bit of guac. I'm good to go. See, I'm the opposite of you. I, I, I tell that I don't like salsa. I just don't like pico de gallo. Yeah. See, I, I don't either. I don't either, but I can work with it if it's like blended and super like spicy. I understand. I understand. Like the one time I went, I got the uh, carne asada with like the beans, the rice, cheese. Um, and that's where the spice came for me because the carne asada has got a little bit of spice to it, but I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Good Thank stuff. Podcast making me want goddamn Chipotle at. Do you, guys, do you guys not have them in Canada? No, we have a few. It's just they're really spread out. Like, it's not like they're all over the place. Do you guys have, like, more Kidobas? Is that what it is? Uh, we have the chain called Burrito Boys that I actually go to more often than not. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, it's good. If you ever come up here, I'll have to take you sometime. Yeah, for sure. Once once we get that border opened up. Yes, sir. Um, But just going back to the going back to the draft and everything, like, I, yeah. I love what you said about it, how you don't really know the pitchers because for – the draft, I feel like everyone says, you know how everyone says, like, League One is, like, or the Week One's like, oh, it's Christmas morning. I feel like the draft's kind of like Christmas morning where the teams are coming out to, like, give their fans that present of that player that they need or want. Yeah, you know, it's one of, it's kind of the renewal. Um, it's the, for me, it's just the start of the season. Um, it's a renewal of all teams. Everybody's got hope. Everybody's got um everybody's excited there's something at stake for everybody no matter if you finished 0-16 or won the super bowl um there's a storyline the the storylines man we we were talking about that before we went live the storylines of a draft whether it's individuals whether it's play or teams you know that it just it's such a it's such a event it's such a spectacle um yeah, I'm all about it. I've always been about the NFL draft, and I can definitely relate to you saying, you know, it's similar to, like, Christmas morning vibes. Exactly, because, like, I know for a fact that last year, well, everyone was just killing for sports last year, but myself, like, next week, I'm going to be fully dialed in. Um, there's a few draft pod- – uh, no, a few. There's uh, a draft podcast I really like from Pro Football Focus. Shout-out to for one draft. Shout-out former guest Austin Gale, who's the host of that podcast, two for one drafts. But um, – the fact that I have this podcast, the fact that I listen to more football people and podcasts to get my uh, where I get my news from, I think it gets gotten me more excited for the draft. Yeah, definitely. And you know, as you know, just talking about it right now, like it just gets me. Like you know, I've I've it's been on my radar for sure. Don't get me wrong, but just you know, uh, being involved, uh, getting in the mix, chopping it up with you on here. Yeah, it, it's just like I this time next week, like I'm gonna be. It's gonna be like Christmas Eve. Exactly, and even too next Monday we have our first round mock draft where Joe, you're gonna be a part of it. Yep. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, I had one of the guests, Markeem, on with me last night, uh, Monday night, and he wants to he wants to pick your brain about Michigan on Monday night. So just be prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, and I'll be ready to take all the jabs. You know, no, it's it's all good. It's more just asking about how you feel about Harbaugh and other stuff, et cetera. It's not, I don't think it's going to be jabs or anything, but we'll see. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say, too, about the draft quickly is 
I said this Monday, if I had to pick which is a better draft analyst, Daniel Jeremiah or Mel Kuyper, I'm sorry, I'm going to DJ. I feel like Mel's good, but I feel like everybody at ESPN takes what he has to say and it's like the Holy Bible, you know? Meanwhile, with Daniel Jeremiah, I didn't realize how much scouting information he has with NFL teams and I listened to him on part of my take Monday. He's just a wealth of knowledge, but he doesn't also come in as like this brash, arrogant person. He's just himself. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's so easy um, to be hated in, you know, the you know NFL media. You know, we all have our favorites. We all have the guys that we don't like. And, you know, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying, I blurted that I just do not like Mike Greenberg. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would concur there. I am, uh, I am also not a fan. <laughs> um, but, you know, people, a lot of people do like, um, you know, like you said, like Mel Kuyper, he's one of those guys where I think people are kind of split on. Um, same with Nick Shea. Like not, I'm not split on him. I just feel like with Mel, it's almost like I, I actually watched something the other day about the 1994 draft and kind of where he came from. And he basically bashed the Colts in the year when they should have drafted Trent Dilfer, but they kept uh, Harbaugh instead. And mm. basically that's where he kind of made his mark where he's just ripping teams and stuff. I feel like he's just too much of a personality. Meanwhile, like when you look at DJ and Bucky Brooks, like they're just guys who go out there and I don't know, just make their predictions. And then you have idiots like Charlie Castley and Ryan Wilson with some of the worst mock drafts in NFL history. <laughs> like, Are you a uh, mock? Yeah, uh, I, I, so I did not see his most recent one. Um, I did see him getting torn on Twitter, though. I got, I, 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 I'm going to do this again. I'm pretty sure I did this on Monday, but I got to show you what his most recent mock was. Like, I think he still had like fields going at 24 to Pittsburgh. That, that's just not going to happen. Like, and I know, like, every year people are like, okay, account for the guys who are, like, going to slide. However, I mean, I just feel like there would be, there would be teams calling, like, giving up a ton if he were to slide past, like, seven at the Lions. Yeah, because I was about to – that's the thing I was going to say, too, when I wanted to quickly get into your opinion on that, even though we're going to talk about it more next week. Um, with the, um, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I got it right here. Um, so yeah, going back, we're going to go back to this quickly. Uh, so it looks pretty good throughout. He, they, he has, he was taking Smith, but then he has Quiddy Pay going to the Giants at 11, uh, Trey Lance at 14 to the, uh, football team via the Vikings. And for some reason we have JC Horn. Uh, let's see, where's the other one? Yeah, no, still don't see it. Justin Fields, still 24 for Fields at 24 to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, if that, if that happens, then, I mean, that, that, that would top, like, Aaron Rodgers, that would top, uh, like, not because he's as good, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. It would just be that wow factor of like, okay, the, you know, like a guy starts to slide like five, six, seven, eight picks, and people are like, okay, like what the heck is wrong with this guy? Like, where, who got, like, who got all the uh, good information on this guy, and why did he not? You know, it's just, it's just crazy, and that's the spectacle of the draft too. You know, it's unfortunate for the individual, 
but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, why did Brady Quinn fall? Why did why did Ben Roethlisberger fall? Why did Aaron Rodgers fall? And you know, it's like draft day. Um, why did you know, a photo of Laramie Tunsil wearing a gas mask bomb? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one was a little bit more obvious, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the other pick he had too was, I believe, a twenty-five. He had Jacksonville taking Pat Fryermuth, who had a season-ending injury last year. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I don't think he's going to get either of those picks right, but we'll see what happens. We'll see. He also had Liam Eikenberg going to Notre, uh, from Notre Dame going 31 to the Chiefs, which I'm like, there's a lot better. Eikenberg's a good offensive lineman, and he comes from a school that breeds them, but I think there's better options that will be available for Kansas City. Um, yeah, I definitely do think that they do go O-line. Which one? We'll see. Exactly. Well, they, they kind of need it. Um but back to your point of the draft, though, where, like, you know how you're saying ownership, some of them are there for an investment? Mm-hmm. I think they, a lot of what, pe- where the way people draft is what ownership has to say. Now, excuse me, you have the asinine takes of, like, Jerry Jones being infatuated with Kyle Pitts and people saying, oh, should Jerry move up? Which I'm like, hey, if Jerry wants to have a big 12 team, be my fucking guest. But I honestly think that Arthur Blank is going to, if or let me rephrase this. If the Falcons draft a quarterback, I think it's because Arthur Blank wanted a quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I've always subscribed to the theory that if you hire somebody to do a job, trust them to do the job. Unless you're an owner who, you know, is just so, you know, like wrapped in the game. Um, You know, if I'm hiring a general manager, you know, I might kind of pick his brain a little bit. Just kind of ask him, okay, like, what are you thinking here? So that there's no like shock value, um, but I'm if I'm hiring a GM, it's because I trust him to do the job. Exactly, like I don't think Sheila Ford's going to be going into the draft room saying, "Hey, I want this player." No, I think they'll let Brad and Dan and Chris Fieldman and Rod Wood figure that out. I'm just saying that with Arthur with Arthur Blank because, oh, for one, I uh, the crypt looks like the freaking crypt keeper, but then again. <laughs> Arthur, I'm pleading with you. I, if you listen to this, I will not make fun of you going down on the sidelines early. I will only make 28 to 3 jokes on February 5th and March 28th <laughs> if you trade us 4 for 15 and we do not have to give up our 2020. Because I still think it's possible that teams can move up in the draft without giving up two firsts. I definitely now, do too, and it depends how far. I think that's the key. I think if it's after seven, like if it's around you guys. I don't. I think if it's Atlanta, if if someone's going to go up to Atlanta, because in my opinion, the draft starts at four. That's I think the first three are going to be like okay. We like no matter which quarterback San Fran takes, I feel like no one's going to be really shocked unless they do. Uh, I think Trey Lance is the only answer to being shocked. But I think at four is really where the floodgates open and where chaos starts. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and that's uh, that's something I haven't really like. I mean, I th- obviously thought about it, but yeah, you're right. That is where that's where things will get interesting. I think that's where, as they say, business is going to pick up. Yeah, that's where the phone's going to start ringing. Because I feel like, say, if it's Mac Jones and then like Justin Fields is available, if there's a team that really wants Fields, Atlanta's getting phone calls. Like Atlanta's phone's going to ring as soon as that pick is in. Hundred percent. And you know, with with regards to Fields, you know, and this isn't biased based on where he's coming from at all. I promise. Um, I'm at the point, it's kind of like with Ohio State quarterbacks, 
you know, I do I do think he's the best prospect quarterback wise that they've had. Um, but I'm still at a point where it's kind of like I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe I'll believe the success will translate when I see it. That's why I feel like him going to a team like I don't know Atlanta, Washington, Detroit, Denver, New England. Actually, let's scrap Denver. Or because I feel like if he goes to a team like that, it's only good for him to sit for a year and learn. I think if you put him into a pressure situation where he may start week one, you're gonna reap what you sow. Like I feel like you're gonna get that with Zach Wilson. I feel like everyone's expecting Zach Wilson to come out and be this like wonder kid where he's like playing amazing when last he no one really knew who he was before 2020. And also to BYU played an incredibly incredibly easy schedule. So I'm not saying Hey, he's gonna be bad. I'm just saying. Look, if I'm a Jets fan, like proceed with caution. Don't think you're gonna make. Like, I think the Jets fans do realize this, though, and I think Lions fans have the same realization. Where it's like, hey, we know this year may be tough, but we're building for tomorrow. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like with the Jets. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna go out and say like Sam Darnold is a top five or even top ten quarterback, but I think it's just naive to say that he was the problem in New York. And that's why I just like instead of instead of kind of ditching him, I I wish they would have built around him. But then also now, if you're going to come at me with your counterpoint being okay, you know we shed him, we gain some draft capital, and we go get our new guy and our clock, like we talked about a little bit earlier, our clock resets, our window opens back up. I can fully subscribe to that theory. Um, however, if you think or Jets fans think that Zach Wilson's going to come in and you're going to, you guys are going to go eight and eight and then 10 and six the next year. Like, I mean, you're, you're just naive. Eight, and nine and six and 11, Joe. Remember, it's going to get a while to get used to, but I, 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 I say this every time. How can you be mad at it? Yeah. It's one of the, yeah. It's one of those things where I feel like people are definitely split. Like more football is more football. Um, but at the same time, you know, are you, you know, what the the old saying, I guess goes, you know, don't kill the golden goose. Like, you know, it's okay to leave people wanting a little bit more, but I, you know, one game, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I'd rather, I think it's kind of unique that they're keeping it an odd number because you don't see that like in any other sport. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I do feel like though, this is eventually a road to 18. I think somewhere, maybe in like, it may be a while, maybe like 10, 15 years, but I still think that eventually they're going to be at 18 games and potentially 34 teams. I 100% do agree, and I think that they'll just go to two preseason games. Yeah, like just do, like even to extend the offseason, because even I talked about that the other day, the whole offseason stuff with uh, the PA apparently saying we don't want, it's not safe to do workouts when, in all honesty, you're safer from COVID at your team's facility than working out in public or going to a high school field. Because if, say, if you go to a, a working out at a high school field, guy runs, does a weird route, busts his ankle up or does something to his knee, God forbid, you're not covered. If you do it at the team facility, you know what, you're covered. Yeah, and it's just a control, it's a much more controlled environment wherever your facility is. Um, you know, they're... There's not random people that can be walking by. There's not anybody that can just run onto the, you know, run onto the field, you know, just little things like that. But at the same time, you know, 
uh, you know, guys are going to do what guys want to do, whether that's partake um, on their own or, you know, whatever. Exactly. I feel like a lot of guys are just like, oh, we don't want to go work out. But then there's actually workout bonuses and contracts. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I wanted to switch gears because obviously there's some new new rules put in place. There's some, I think, one that's like, a, it's a weird version of Sky Judge that's going to be better for like position of field and like possessions and stuff, which I guess, I don't know. I really still think they should do it for penalties. But yeah, the one I want to mainly talk about is the jersey rule. Yep. Because, like, look, people get to wear their college numbers now. I saw Kyle Van Noy tweet out tonight, though, that he's not changing. He's sticking at 53. We may see your boy Uche go back to 6. We may see Chase Winovich go to 15. Maybe he has to convince Nikhil Harry, because I don't think there's many Harry jerseys sold. But I love this for the league. It makes it better. The only thing they need to do now to, I think, get a lot of people's full attention and more vote of confidence to, hey, the league's fun again, is, you know what, get rid of the one-helmet rule. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's one of those things where people always thought it was kind of weird or funny um, how certain positions could only um, use certain numbers. And I know for the longest time, the argument against it was it was easier um, to align your uh, like defensive and offensive adjust or substitutions um, because you could see like, oh, okay, like they've got a They've got another 40 coming in and a 90s going off the field. So, I mean, right away, you know, they're switching um, their base package from a 4-3 to a 3-4, things like that. So now that that's going to be, I think, one thing that people aren't talking about a whole lot is how tricky substitutions can be now. Yeah, exactly. Because I just love it. Like when I watch a college game, for example, and you see like, Number nine, this big guy just coming off the edge, or even number I've seen like number two, for example, coming off the line. Like I just love it, like stuff like that, where it's just like when it's like in the nineties, it's like okay, whatever. It's a it's a number associated with position, but let them be unique. Like this is the league that, and it still baffles me that find Alvin Kamara for those Christmas cleats when he had six touchdowns, but then he sent his five letter to Canton, so it was all good. But I feel like I said I think it's just the league getting. Hey, look, we want to be not as military or we're not as precise we want to be fun but like i said if you want my full attention give us more than one helmet please let like let just do it let us let the patriots wear the damn pat patron on their head again yeah and i you know a lot of uh a lot of teams you know have some really cool alternates and like the blaze those some of those blaze lids i mean they're you know they're pretty sharp like I'm saying, uh, we don't like NFL doesn't need to be Oregon, where each team has ten jerseys and zero national championships. That's none of my business, though. But you know what I mean, right? Like, look, let the league be fun because at the end of yeah. the day, what people want. And the other thing I'll say too is though, the 17th game. Look, for as much you say, hey, the the golden goose metaphor, it's all about money. Because look, like. Hell, like a few years ago, the NFL wouldn't sniff gambling, and now they have three official sportsbook partners in Caesars, FanDuel, and DraftKings. Yeah, and now on the NFL, NFL Network, Network, not only or ESPN, anywhere you get your uh, sports coverage from, they half half of the stats that they show are gambling statistics. You didn't do realize as well injury reports first started coming out because of gambling, right? Yep, 100%. And that's why uh, college doesn't currently do that. And Vegas is begging 
begging the NCAA and trying to somehow, and of course the NCAA just loves everything about gambling and the worms that that can open up, can of worms that that can open up. But I mean, they are really trying. The Sorry to cut you off, but is that really the worst can of worms that they have to deal with right now? The NCAA's got a lot going on, but I know Vegas is on their back trying to get injury reports um, to be a formal thing. That way that uh, gambler, you know, bookmakers can uh, better assess. Exactly, or even too. I feel like now that the NFL is doing it, I feel like eventually you're going to see it with college where it's like, hey, MGM or hey, Caesars, like, yeah, exactly. Get us, and hey, you get advertisements on your thing. At least it's not going to be. I don't know if you saw that the weird UCF thing where the players are putting like their Twitter handles on their jerseys or whatnot. But that, that was just weird. But like, look, there's chances for sponsorship, and hey, maybe one day we'll see Caesars presents the Michigan Wolverines, like how I believe it's Rocket Mortgage presents the Michigan State Spartans men's basketball team. Yeah, so Michigan's kind of unique in that regard where they try to keep things as, like, pure as possible because they have such a great brand that they don't feel the need to take on, like, they're one of the only stadiums in the entire country that if you go to a Michigan game, there's zero advertisements. They they allow zero billboards, zero anything. Um, they will not take money for any, and they do that because of the tradition. And also, it always helps, like I said, when your brand is, you know, top five in all of college athletics as far as revenue goes. Um, but, yeah, no, it's one. Of, it's definitely one of those things that's coming. I mean, you, you know, I, you know, you look at, like, you know, Premier League and all the, all the logos on there, NBA, they've started, you know, and it's just the beginning, right? I mean, I hope they keep it kind of, you know, nice and tidy if they ever get to that point. But, you know, maybe only one logo, not like 50. <laughs> I, I was just making a joke because obviously Michigan State did it with their basketball team. For yep. Reasons beyond me. But I don't think it'll happen. I just think that a lot of these leagues look at the chance of, hey, this can make us more money. Because, like, I even said this on Monday, too, going back to the PA stuff. That bargaining agreement, if it's not signed last summer – there is no way that the TV deals that just went into place that are going to make the league $110 billion over the next 10 years get signed for. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, money talks. And, you know, I think they realize, like, hey, fans may not like it. They may moan and groan about certain things. But at the end of the day, uh, is it a move that makes us a lot more money? Yes. Is it a is it a move that while fans may be a little bit agitated by it, are they going to stop watching? No. Great. Let's do it. Exactly. Because like even something as simple as, hey, um, Amazon Prime is going to be doing Thursday Night Football. But, hey, if your team's playing, it's you don't have to go on Prime. It's still going to be on TV. It's like little things like that. Look, like, you know, we were talking before about the draft being you draft. Sometimes you want to draft the now, but you draft the future. The league's looking at the future with the TV deals, how every single person's nor networks, excuse me, streaming partner is involved. Peacock's involved with NBC, ESPN Plus, ESPN, Paramount with CBS, Amazon Prime on its own, and then I think it's, I don't know the Fox one, I think it's a Vubi or something like that. I'm not 100% what the Fox one is, but they know, hey, look, kids nowadays do not pay for cable. They watch everything. I'm holding my phone. Joe and I are on audio right now. I'm holding my phone, and they know, hey, a kid can pick up his iPhone, watch the game, and they get views and they get money. The NFL looks at it and says, 
That's goddamn brilliant. Let's do this. The only thing I got to say is, as long as we get more Nickelodeon games, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, everything's just so metric-based. And with a smartphone, you know, it, you you don't even have to interact, like physically interact with a tweet. You don't have to reply. You don't have to retweet. You don't have to like it. All you have to do is click on it, and those nu- those numbers are reflective. Oh, 100%. I look, that's how I look to a lot of my Twitter. I like, I see like, Hey, and no one really liked the tweet, but I still see like hundreds of people or even sometimes thousands of people saw the tweet. I'm like, Hey, look, thousands of people saw what I had to say. That's cool with me. Yep. That's all it's about. Exactly. Well, anyway, folks, this is going to wrap it up. Episode 82 of YWC football talk is in the bag. I'll be back on Sunday with Keegan Stifle for a Pat's draft preview, but Monday, April 26th, Big Rat 310, Markeem Graham, Joe Provost, and I, plus a fifth potential guest, maybe here. Just got to work some stuff out. But anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Joe, thanks for coming on, man. It was a blast getting to talk to you once again. Thanks for having me, as always. And, uh, you know, once we get post-pandemic, maybe we can do one of these bad boys in person. Absolutely. I would love, love it. I'm looking forward to that the day we're able to do that. Well, anyway, folks, we'll see you down the road for episode 83 of YWC Football Talk. Good night. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.